We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Takeaways from the Zero RB Watch and Stealing Signals. That's what we're talking about Today on Stealing Bananas, I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. Find my Stealing Signals Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his Zero RB Watch at Rotoviz and everything else that he does over at Rotoviz. And Sean, how are you doing? Ben, I'm doing extremely well because we had a Monday night battle down the stretch. That was one of the more fun. It was this was a great reality game, first of all, right? You have the Pittsburgh Steelers playing some good defense, you know, forcing Justin Fields to play better than he has played. You have a game here where Harris has the nice touchdown run early and then is running for about one yard per play the entire rest of the game. You have the Bears defense rallying, shutting down these passing plays of Chase Claypool to Deontay Johnson. You have the rise of the young tight ends. I mean, the two stars of this game were Pat Fryermuth and Cole Komet, which is an interesting development in so many different ways. But then this is also a great fantasy game because week nine featured all of these bizarre upsets. It also featured a ton of the biggest fantasy scorers in football getting shut down. It also featured a lot of sort of backup type players, even in this by week who put up a, a bunch of points then i don't think i've ever had a week in my entire fantasy football career where my starting lineup scored fewer points and my benches scored more points that's not the dynamic you're necessarily looking for but it also created this sort of amazing experience if you can call it that on monday night football where there were a lot of low scoring games that were still very much in doubt and so we go up in our sort of most importantly, Ben, we're in great shape in, in a lot of our leagues. We're very grateful for that. We thank um, all the other great analysts who have helped us. We thank the fantasy community, all those things. It's been a fun year from that perspective. Our number one team needed approximately 35 points to overcome all of the other squirrely stuff we did. And we have Najee Harris and 
Cole come back going. And when Harris scores early, I'm thinking, okay, this sets us up. We've got a shot now. And then not too much from him, right? He doesn't catch a lot of passes in this game. We've kind of joked before. I made the comment that he was the number one back. That very clearly was proven wrong by all of the various things that are happening. If he's not catching more passes than that, he's not going to be a big time star because the contrast between Harris and some of the other backs in terms of the plays that they can make explosively, very, very straightforward. But Ben, as this game progressed, were you thinking to yourself, Cole Komet is going to be the hero? Cole Komet is going to win it for us on the final play of the game? Well, I mean, certainly was hoping for it. As we started getting down towards the end, I was watching it, and the Bears got that last drive trying to get into field goal range. We needed a 12-yard completion, and he caught a pass that looked like it was only 11 yards, and I was really hoping it would go down as 12 yards. And the scores updated, and we were down by 0.05 points. And I was like, we're going to lose by less than a tenth of a point. And then he caught a pass in the very next play. <laughs> and so before I really had time to process how mad I was going to be that he didn't get one more yard on the previous catch, he caught another ball. And, yeah, that was an exciting finish. That team moved to 8-1, and one, is in great position tops in the league in scoring it looks like yes and so yeah that's that's our our really exciting one we have uh, you know a couple others that are we're very excited about as well but that one's in really good shape overall so getting that win does help us because in these leagues uh ffpc is such a great format you have both the points based path you have the win loss based path if you have both of them to choose from then you know you're in better position as you go down the stretch here a few more key weeks the other big development in that league is that we have james connor and that's sort of a, a separate discussion we'll get into a little bit of that in a bit but then i don't want to get away from this question of the young tight ends Friar moves someone else. Uh, I mean, I was actually doing the chant, which is a little bit embarrassing. But for both of these guys, uh, when their teams had the ball during this game to get, you know, to get them going, and every time I did, they would catch a pass for Friar Muth, Those multiple touchdown catches. This was a lot of fun to watch develop. It's been a kind of a cool dynamic where I really enjoy being able to talk with Travis May, our college football guru. He was extremely high on Friar Muth and talked about how. If Kyle Pitts weren't there to overshadow him, he would be getting a ton of press and would be drafted much higher just because the contrast wouldn't be there between these two guys coming into uh, their rookie seasons. And so Friar moves someone I have in almost every dynasty league, in part because of Travis, in part because of the cool tools that we have on the site, in part because I think that you have to add tight ends in the second round of dynasty every year because the tight ends people will let fall because you do have to show some patience. We know we're not expecting big numbers from these rookie tight ends. And that's one of the things that we've seen with Cole Komet, where he was underwhelming last year. He was underwhelming through the first half this year. Uh, we kind of have sort of fun debates with Davis Maddock about our FBG team that we have with him, where he definitely thinks that tight end is the one spot we have to fix to win the $500,000 because Cole Komet cannot be that guy. Then he started to kind of look like that guy, right? I mean, if Justin Fields takes the next step, Allen Robinson doesn't look like he can do it anymore. Darnell Mooney, a good piece, but you're going to need multiple pieces if you're going to have a functioning passing game. Cole Komet is big. He's athletic. He gives him that target over the middle, which is so, so crucial to having efficient NFL plays. He was the guy that rallied them 
to the chance to win this game. I mean, they were so close, and Cole Komet would have been the guy to get it done. I know you have some cool notes from Stealing Signals about how these two players are emerging in the passing game, the routes, the targets, how those things interact. How excited should we be for these players, especially in tight end premium formats, that they could be the guy who win your league for you at tight end, maybe even some flex possibilities with them as we go down the stretch? Yeah, I think both of them look fantastic. Farmuth has you know, has 79% routes this week. He's been up there the last few weeks with Ebron out. I think that probably sticks. I mean, we wondered what might happen when Juju was gone, if some of this opportunity would open up. He continues to be very efficient. We know with rookies, the efficiency can lead to more work. Uh, Only saw six targets, but two touchdowns, like you said, has the really nice touchdown catch on the second one where kind of bodies the defender gets called. Uh, the defender gets called for defensive pass interference, but Fryermuth still very strong to the ball. Gets you know gets through the play, makes the catch. Big touchdown score in college. Something you talked about uh, back in the off season when we were thinking about drafting him late in a lot of these main events, and he has shown that already. I mean, very clearly. Yeah, you got to be really excited about him. And then Komet, even with Jimmy Graham back, he's got sort of the same deal. This vet vet tight end presence. Even with him back, he runs routes on 76%. Jimmy Graham was involved. He had a long catch on Fields' uh, best throw of the day. I mean, just a beautiful seam shot uh, between the the trailing defender and the safety, Mika Fitzpatrick, coming over the top. Um, I think I wrote in, in signals that it's the kind of pass even the best quarterbacks in the league couldn't improve on. I mean, he had to put velocity behind it, put it right in the hole. Those are the types of throws that we've seen from him at times from an accuracy, I keep, I've been talking about his accuracy, even when he was you know, doing horrible, we've seen all the way back into the preseason, he puts balls in the right spots. I mean, he, this guy has a really good feel for where to throw the football. I mean, even some plays like the, the end zone shot for Jimmy Graham as well was high into the outside on a back shoulder fade right where it needs to be. Defender gets a, a slight tip on it and Graham isn't able to bring it in. Um, but yeah, rolling left made a beautiful throw to Komet. Rolling left late made the the throw to to Mooney for the TD. You know, he underthrew the deep ball to Marquise Goodwin. But so many good passes from him in this game. A couple that he missed as well. He's a rookie quarterback, but he looked fantastic. You knew I had to get a couple words in about him. But Komet, seventy six percent routes, eight targets, also strong efficiency, right? And that's great for a second year tight end. I mean, in the same vein. But then I also looked at the the weighted targets per out run and targets per out run leaderboards. Just playing around with those tools, great stealing signals tool at Rotoviz where you can check these things out. And particularly was looking at targets per out run for the tight ends because you're not going to get quite as many air yards. Um, you you want to look at both of them; they matter. I mean, the uh, throwing in the air yards, you're going to get Kyle Pitts up in the up around the top ten over the last four weeks. Um, or I guess I was looking at the last five weeks uh yeah and a minimum of three games played minimum of 15 routes per game you had Kyle Pitts up around the top 10 and weighted weighted targets per outrun because he's got the air yards to go with the the targets a couple other tight ends up there like uh, Mark Andrews Zach Ertz's volume on a routes run basis has been strong but then I switched over to the targets per route run side to look at some of these other tight ends that are seeing targets and guys that weren't sort of in this leaderboard that I put in the stealing signals on the weighted targets per out run side, the the top tight end who didn't make the weighted targets per out run leaderboard was Pat Freermuth, who has seen targets over the past five weeks, 
on 27% of his routes. His routes are up. That's fantastic, right? That's just ahead of, so that's fourth at, at, at the tight end position, I believe. Or no, he's ahead of Pitts even. So he is, and he's actually ahead of Andrews. He's only behind Ertz in target spread run over the last five weeks. Like Hawkinson's right behind him. Dan Arnold's right behind him. OJ Howard on a much lower routes run rolls right behind there. But not further, much further down the list, you run into Cole Komet as well. And that's another guy whose routes are up and you're seeing this good per route volume. So, yeah, those are two dudes that I highlighted in the, the signals as well and, and saw same sort of the same as what you saw. But really, I mean, just like, like you said, they both looked so good. They looked like important pieces of their offenses, which are really important elements to this. You know, for reference, I mean, like Darren Waller's been down a little bit. Komet right just barely below Waller, Freemuth basically ahead of him on a per route basis in terms of, of drawing volume. And both of them are ahead of Kelsey over the last five weeks, who has been banged up and, and looked a little bit better this week. But these guys have the potential to be top 10, top eight. I mean, I don't know if top five is too high, but certainly, you know, in the in the top 10, at least I would say at tight end the rest of the way, it looks like they're well positioned to do that the way that they're drawing volume. And this is one of the reasons, too, that I do like to continue to kind of stock that position, even if you think you have a quality starter or even a league winner in terms of league winner from the perspective of being able to tilt the field at that position. If you have a Kelsey, if you have a Waller, obviously you paid a lot for them, but you still want to be adding these up and coming stars, even if it's merely from a blocking perspective. You, you don't, I mean, if you drafted Kelsey, if you drafted Waller, you don't want someone else to be able to close that gap to you. But also you could have someone who could fill in in the flex positions, you know, especially during the bye weeks. But if they take off down the stretch, these trends that you're seeing, when we see people emerge, uh, you never know when you're going to have actually a legitimate, I won't say star, but someone who's an impact player at the key point when you're racing for that $500,000 or trying to win your fantasy playoffs in the semifinals, in the finals, that kind of thing. You mentioned Kelsey, you mentioned Waller. Kelsey really struggled again in this game last week, drops a key third down. Uh, some of those things are going to turn back around, but but he has mentally seemed to be one of the Chiefs who's had the hardest time with this drought that they've gone through offensively. He just, I mean, he doesn't look like himself. Every little thing that goes wrong when he's he's really kicking himself, he continues to make mistakes. I think he's going to come out of it, but but right now he's not giving you the gap you would necessarily expect. We have the Raiders, a lot of turmoil there. It'll be interesting to see if Deshaun Jackson is able to replace some of the things they need or if he just adds more to it because he's a little bit of a, a divisive character over there on the sidelines. Waller with three targets in the end zone. In this one, the first, a beautiful defensive play by Bradbury knock it away. The last two really open, and Derek Carr misses him. Derek Carr just with the extraordinary, I think, 31 from 34 performance in Week 8. Ah, it was not the same in week nine, right? Their, their problem with the Giants. And one of the things that we see on NFL weekends, sometimes you have these massive upsets like the Jaguars and the Bills, uh, some of the types of things where uh, even though maybe not as big an upset, you have just shocking developments with the Cowboys, with the Rams offensively. The Raiders-Giants game, a little bit more of just that illustration where if you go into a game and you kick a bunch of field goals and scoring, instead of scoring touchdowns, and then you throw a pick six, even a game that you otherwise sort of control the flow of play, you will lose. And so we saw some big performances at the key moments on the key plays from the Giants there. But the interesting thing, I think, is that Waller, I would be very surprised if he doesn't have some games like week one uh, down the stretch here. His volume, and especially the volume at the highest leverage parts of the field, I think is going to be very, very high. 
Uh, ben, when we come back from the break here, I also do want to ask you, uh, we talked a little bit jokingly about our dynasty team last week and how we were struggling to lose the games necessary to get the playoff or to get the draft pick that we're looking for next year to make this multi-year run. Uh, we did inadvertently win again this week, and now we may need to be considering the buy option. I'm going to ask you what we should do here when we get back from the break. Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Ben, one of the reasons I bring this up is because we have both Cole Komet and Pat Fryermuth on our Dynasty roster here. We are at five and four. That overstates how good our team is, which is more uh, illustrated by the fact that we're still struggling in victory points. If we're going to make the playoffs, going to make a run, we've got to get those victory points up, which means we have to do more than sort of play defense and outscore our opponents in these low-scoring games. But now we're in the situation where we have James Conner, we have Dante Freeman, who looks like he may score some points, we have J.D. McKissick, we have this team that made no effort at all to fill the running back position, and I don't know, I mean, it's one of these things, Ben, where it seems like it's worked out. We've actually got some running backs who are going to score some points. James Conner could be a top five guy, at least for the next month. We have Kyler Murray, if he's able to play. We have Derek Carr. Wow. Fryermuth and Komet are number two and three tight ends with Mike Gasicki in there, who Gasicki, when Devontae Parker is out, is an absolute weapon. We'll see if Tua is able to play this week. But Ben, I don't I don't know. It's 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 almost like we don't know what we're doing on the wide receivers here because uh we used all of our picks at wide receiver, and yet we have Michael Thomas, we have Odell Beckham. We have Juju Smith-Schuster. We have Will Fuller. All of those guys are hurt or prefer not to play. And then we have some other players like a LaVisca Chenault. We have a KJ Hamler. We've got a bunch of IR guys who... Tyler Boyd has been great. Tyler Boyd is scoring a lot of points for us, Ben. So we do have a starting lineup with with Debo Samuel. Last time I checked, Debo Samuel is outscoring all of the running backs who are still healthy. So that's not too bad. 
uh, DJ Moore going the wrong direction. This was the, the three more teams that one of the things that, that you and I and Colin and I like to do on as many rosters as possible. We have Rondell, we have Elijah Moore. Permission to see, I, I wish they weren't playing the Bills this week because if they weren't, then I think Elijah would be ready to really get on a run. But so my question, now that I've kind of broken down what we did here, the good, the bad, we do have an avalanche. We've got like 12 picks in the first three rounds next year. So, I mean, again, our idea was we dominate from 2022 on. Do we need to start spending some of these picks? I mean, if you have James Conner and you're in position and you have Kyler Murray, you've got some tight ends. I mean, can we afford to to not like go after it? Do we need to send a bunch of offers out tomorrow? Well, what are you thinking? You, so first of all, because I'm not particularly familiar with the the playoff structure in this league, and probably some of our listeners not are are not as well. You mentioned going after the buy before the break. You had references to me before that the the top seed is determined by the, the uh, an actual bracket in the constellation uh, constellation bracket, correct? Right. So we have to actually win the backdraw to uh, to get the number one pick. I'm feeling good about our chances for that. I mean that that should be. So is that what you meant by the buy? Is there a buy in the? Well, no. I'm saying we uh, do we need to do we need to to buy. Do we oh, need to just go to out buy. there and get some players? Yeah, we're not going to – so, I mean, six teams make the playoffs. We're right there kind of at the edge. This one is also interesting. There are some leagues out there where in the first year you have some interesting things going on. One of the things we're seeing specifically in this league, and probably some of our listeners you know, in the league, they're looking at it, they're like, you haven't looked at my roster closely enough. But in terms of actual victory points and where the standings are, nobody is gapping the rest of the field. We know that for a variety of reasons, some of them very unfortunate, people are losing players who might have been expected to lead them to championships. In a league where you don't have these dynasty teams that are unbeatable, and we actually have some depth. We joke about how bad our wide receivers are, but the depth you know, kind of across the board at various positions is there. We can do a variety of things in the flex spots. If there isn't a super team, can we afford to not go after it in, in year one? I and mean, one of the things we talk about all the time is the way you win dynasty titles is being in that top group every single season, because sometimes when you have the best team, you will get upset. I mean, it feels insane to to have the injuries that you just listed, Juju and Fuller and Michael Thomas never coming back and Odell getting cut and KJ Hamler even as a later round guy going down and Boyd and Chenault underperforming as well. To have all of those misses, and uh, you know, even look at Superflex, we took Ryan Fitzpatrick, and the guy, the guy's not played all year. Uh, it feels a little insane to try to go after it with that roster. Uh, we do have a lot of upcoming buys. Kyler Murray is our our big centerpiece, and Connor and Rondell will all be on buy in week twelve. That's going to be a rough week for this team that has so many injured players. Uh, DJ Moore will go on by right behind that in week 13, Mike Gesicki in week 14, right behind that. And so it might be tight, but at the same time, I mean, as you pointed out, we have Gesicki, Fryermuth, and Komet. I mean, we could be playing three tight ends at a certain point. We were just talking about how excited we are with Komet and Fryermuth. We do have Kyler and Derek Carr as our other healthy quarterback, and that's a pretty solid group. Then we played a tight end in the super flex position last week with Kyler Murray out and much to our chagrin, you know, again, playing the best lineup that we can, we did win. So now it puts us into this situation where we have to shift our priorities a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I mean, I always want to win. I think I, I want to send out the offers. I want to go for it. 
Uh, what offers are we talking about? This is the first I'm hearing about this. What are you thinking? You're the one <laughs> who likes to fun, you know, think through these things. Who who should we be acquiring? We should be acquiring uh, probably, <laughs> as absurd as it is, probably a receiver. Yeah, we'll go and we'll go and see uh, who is available there. Uh, Marquise Brown, somebody who I've been getting a bunch of low ball offers on in various leagues. What what would you pay for him, knowing his overall profile, knowing that Rashad Bateman is coming on? Uh, Brown this week, one of the interesting notes in the Monday article, uh, his target depth was down, but he overperformed the air yards, had some run after the catch. It concerns me when you have mark andrews and you have bateman and you have this offense that could shift back to a rushing offense uh, because i mean they're just too good in so many different ways right and jk dobbins is one of the guys much more than the other injured running backs i feel very confident saying he's going to come back and he's going to score a ton of points even if it's not great for fantasy because they're only rushing points he's going to score a ton of points next year i mean how much would you pay for brown because down the stretch i mean he looks like a potential top eight wide receiver and so it's this kind of buy high you know, sell. I mean, where are you at with him in Dynasty, knowing that a lot of that value, even though he's a young receiver, and you're going to have to pay for a young receiver. One of the things that happens in all of these different leagues, and it's just the most interesting question in Dynasty, is that people overpay for running backs because they need that immediate production. And then as soon as the league starts and you're looking at trades that go for more than one year, then I've been pretty shocked at how little people are willing to pay me and Monty Fawn for Daryl Henderson, including win now teams and how expensive some of these receivers that people sort of turned up their nose at six months ago, how expensive they are now because they know they're going to be able to play them in these positions for a long, long time. Brown is an interesting mix of some of those types of things, considering his skill set, some of his weaknesses and the fit within this Ravens offense. I'm sure you talked about this, uh, as a hilarious element of what the Ravens did in week nine, but they're not going to always run that many plays. Yeah. Second most plays in any game by any team uh, this season. They, they're in 89 plays. That so was pretty, uh, pretty hilarious. I, I look, I'm a believer in, in Marquise Brown right now. He looks fantastic at the same time. I think you have to be, I've seen a lot of conversation over the last couple of weeks on, on Twitter and elsewhere, sort of, I wouldn't say mocking, but sort of, you know, it's something that I do occasionally, obviously pointing out this, um, the certainty that the Ravens wouldn't have added a lot of passing basically like that, that was a mistake and, and, and mocking that, that idea. And look, I was on the wrong side of that. I, the, the Ravens are one team from a team level that I felt very confident saying had limitations in what they could actually get to in terms of passing volume and those types of things. And, and they've exceeded what I, what I would have said is sort of their higher end or like, you know, and that was a question that I asked. I mean, I don't think I would say I would say I was very certain about that. I recall questioning that um, like what their true ceiling is in terms of pass attempts. And the reason I bring that up is I I, I think it, on one hand, it is a worthwhile point to make that we should never be confident in team uh, volume, pers- like from a team volume perspective. That is literally the one team where I felt like I would make an ex- I was willing to make an exception this offseason and be like, I don't want to be too high on these guys. I did take Brown in a couple spots. He was very affordable. 
but I didn't want to be too high. I didn't take uh, Andrews, I don't think, anywhere. on on and, and Bateman, I thought, especially before his injury, was priced in a range where I didn't really like it because it was so hard to see, at least in redraft. But it was it was so hard to see the volume. I do think now as we sit here, and sort of the reason I'm bringing this up and, and replaying it and saying that it's, it's kind of silly at this point to say, well, we should have been open to this happening because there is value in recognizing that what has happened for the Ravens from a pass volume perspective is essentially, I mean, I would call it a 99th percentile outcome. I mean, I, I think you have to go in your mind and be willing to recognize when something is skewed heavily towards one side of the outcome spectrum but they've played from behind a ton. They are playing faster. That's maybe not something that's like a upper level outcome, but because they've played from behind and some of that's, you know, their defense and maybe we should have seen that coming, but because they've played from behind, they've had to throw more, obviously Uh, they're throwing in all situations to be clear, but that has led to more passing. They've been more efficient passing. They've run more plays. They've had a lot of these games. They've had multiple overtime games where they've added pass attempts and extra periods and then obviously the running back injuries. I mean, it's just absurd. I mean, if J.K. Dobbins is there, but even if he's not, if Gus Edwards is there, um, you know, there's different er- elements to this where they would probably be running more. You just like that. That's been such a big part of their identity. So the ways that everything has broken. I mean, to me, Lamar Jackson is MVP front runner right now, and he's played phenomenal and everything is fantastic. And they maybe were already planning to throw more and knowing that he could do all of this as a passer because he's been so good. But it has really broken in a way that if you look ahead to 2022, especially when you ask this question, presumably Dobbins Dobbins is going to be healthy. Presumably Edwards is as well. They have both guys under contract. I I mean, what we see in 2021 might lead to more passing into the future. But, you know, they came off that big 2019 season where they didn't actually add a ton of pass attempts, but they're incredibly efficient. Uh, Lamar Jackson threw for a ton of touchdowns and all that. They came back in 2020. 2020 and they threw 406 passes which was the fewest in many years in the nfl and so it wouldn't be that surprising if they came back in 2022 and and threw the fewest pass attempts in the entire nfl again and got and got pretty run heavy again with those running backs healthy and all those things even with a great 2021 and even with the weapons that they have and bateman there and everything so a little concerned about brown long term i do still think he's an interesting buy right now i think he would make a lot of sense early in the offseason to be a sell then turn around and, and and try to trade him at the end of what will likely be a very good season. Like you said, I think he's, he makes a lot of sense as somebody to be um, considering as a high level producer, the rest of this season. I like that. And we'll, we'll look to see if we have some other opportunities that are similar. One of the things that is nice about stockpiling a bunch of rookie picks is that it does give you the flexibility because that's currency that you can spend in a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, people who are looking to get those picks or are looking to sell are often looking to sell their veterans. But, you know, if you're willing to offer enough and you're willing to work with them and be flexible in terms of what you're offering back, and we've got some young guys like a Hamler, I mean, I think that his value is is pretty well shattered by getting hurt so early. But it's very easy to look at the possibility of an Aaron Rodgers being there next year, package some of those things together maybe get a young wide receiver so you're not actually losing a lot of ground in terms of this long-term build. Then you also mentioned there the Baltimore Ravens at the running back position. Uh, We have a lot of Devontae Freeman that's kind of looking good right now. He continues to look like the most explosive back 
from this group. And the thing that gave me the most optimism from this game is that the way that he's playing right now, I think that when Latavius Murray does come back and the most recent reports I've seen suggest that that you know, will not be this week. I mean, it may still be a while if he's struggling to come back from this injury that the timeline you know could be longer than what was expected. But I think that he'll come back and take touches. And this may be just wishful thinking, but it's going to overlap more with what Le'Veon Bell has been asked to do in a, a role that doesn't seem like it should should exist, but but somehow it does. And so I think that Freeman is, is actually a pretty sneaky guy, a little bit like a J.D. McKissick, very different roles. But in terms of what they can give you that they weren't expected to give, you know, McKissick last season, it's coming true a little bit more again this season, some guys who can fill in and actually score some points. Ben, you mentioned to me when we were talking before the show about a different backfield that's incorporating uh, someone who was maybe better a decade ago. One of the questions that we sort of touched on a little bit last week was this idea of Adrian Peterson. What is he worth? You know, was he still out there when the Ravens have somewhat hilariously added the guys that they've added because of fit, because of personality, because of talent? It's a little bit unfair to grade Peterson too severely on the first game back because we, I mean, it would just be fair to, to give him a little bit more time to work into this. Obviously he gets thrown right into the fire, carries 10 times, gains the 21 yards. Uh, he does get that touchdown with three minutes left that sort of obscures the way the rest of this game went. But at this you know point as well, the fantasy community is so sophisticated that, you know, people are going to still know that he did not look good. I kind of joked in my article that he was running so upright that it looked like he might tip over backward. Uh, this game maybe gives some cover though, still because he scores the touchdown because he gets the 10 carries to go out and add Deontay Foreman for basically nothing. He goes for five and 29 McNichols seven for 24 with the three targets. McNichols, obviously the best floor. We talked about that last week. How are you feeling about, uh, Adrian Peterson with the Titans here. We would have liked to have seen more points from AJ Brown last week, but uh, we still obviously think he's going to be the star. Can I get you to make a foreman for fantasy MVP prediction? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but I will say, well, first on, on, on uh, Devonta Freeman, 58% snap share, second highest for any Ravens back in the game all year so his role is is definitely expanding but yeah as far as peterson i mean the optimistic view let's start there because there's a lot more on the pessimistic view um he gets 10 carries to lead the team and gets 11 touches to lead the team they're the team's backs right and he gets the short yardage touchdown it was his first game right and and there's the possibility that he works into a fuller role that's about it for the optimism. I mean, he didn't look good. Like you said, the the routes, McNichols ran twice as many routes, and we knew that would be the case. But that meant that Peterson was going to need to come in and, and have basically all the carries. McNichols got seven. Foreman got five. It's not that crazy. You know, Peterson getting 10, McNichols seven. Foreman five doesn't seem that crazy. But when you sit and think about it, like, okay, well, McNichols and Foreman combined for 12, and Peterson got 10. It's very much not him taking the Derrick Henry role in that regard. He needs to definitely get more than half of the running back rush attempts, right? Uh, and then the way that I kind of put it in Stealing Signals is he's basically squeezed on both sides. And we talk about this sometimes with certain running backs, and you don't want to be squeezed on both sides. That's what That gets really tricky, where McNichols 
was already going to squeeze him on the routes and the receptions, and there's not going to be a big role there for Peterson. And we did see that. But then now Foreman is really challenging him for the rush attempts because Foreman did get a few here. And maybe that was, you know, Foreman first game with the team as well, although he was with them last year. Um, but he he gets some maybe just because Peterson's not up to speed or whatever, however you want to put that. But he's better than Peterson in this game. He rushes five times for more yards than Peterson got on his 10 carries and looked better. And so you now have this threat on the early down uh, uh, early down carries where, look, that might just be a split going forward. And that, it certainly would not be surprising if it's like a 10 to 5 situation again, uh, you know, a 2 to 1, where if Foreman's taking, you know, half as many carries as Peterson is getting and McNichols is getting at least, you know, maybe he won't get seven every week, but at least three to five. Peterson's not going to have value. I mean, I don't think you can play him right now because he is getting sort of squeezed on both sides, both the low value touches. He's certainly already losing the routes. And so, yeah, that's that's going to be really challenging for him. I, I think you need to see it with him from a role perspective, at least before you're playing him. And look, I picked him up in a league. I, I put some uh, block bids out there. We didn't get him in any of our leagues together, any main event stuff, but I have him in one league and I'm not I'm not going to be playing him anytime soon. Well, then we have a lot more that we want to get to this week. Fortunately, we have a third show coming for you. I have uh, a, a breakdown I want to run by you on Joe Mixon. I think there have been some interesting things developing there over the last month. I've been very impressed by him. He's not someone that I have been on. But then I also want to potentially give a sell recommendation, which I do with some reluctance because I think that analysts have more credibility when they tell you to buy people they're not on and to sell people that they have, as opposed to the other way around. If you're saying I want to sell, like Sean, you know, you're always selling Joe Mixon. But I'm going to go through some of the interesting things that have really developed with his resume and why uh, now might be the time to pull the trigger. If you're a Joe Mixon uh, true believer, we have some very interesting developments in Las Vegas where Jalen Richard was involved in the passing game in the first half. Very scary developments, I think, for Kenyon Drake owners. But then that turned around in a big way as the game developed. And Drake now very, very hot. Obviously want to get your takes there. And then the New England Patriots, maybe we'll have a little bit more info uh, when we do record our third show. Because with the two concussions for both Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, this is one where both of these guys look good. Stevenson, we, we've sort of promoted as a potential, uh, you know, I think I said on the show, David Johnson. He's going to be David Johnson in 2015. Uh, he's shown some flashes, and this Patriots offense has been interesting for the running backs. There's a lot going on there. Hopefully these guys both clear by the time that we record on Thursday. So, so much more to get to, Ben. But uh, as always, it's been so much fun recording with you here. We had a good time with our teams uh, we hope that you also had good success in week nine in this low scoring battle that you were one of the teams that was able to come out ahead week 10 new challenges. We'll get to some of those in episode three for now. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretsch whom you can follow at yards per Gretsch. I know that if you're one of our handful of listeners who does not subscribe that having listened to some of these cool stats Ben has given you today, fresh off of his article off the press a few hours earlier, uh, as you're listening tomorrow morning, obviously you would have gotten that last night. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. Absolutely fantastic. If you want to get a 10% discount to Rotoviz, you can use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Please subscribe to our feed. 
leave us a rating and review. We love you guys. Talk to you soon.